Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Uh, you know, something that's not really controversial tonight, but it was a great question, and I feel like it's very relevant to, um, you know, the church in this particular moment in history, because you know, we're going to talk about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, How, you know, who he is and what he does in our lives. And uh, the, the question that I got, <coughs> the questions, I should say, were plural, and I'm, I think one relates to the other. So here's the first question. How do we know if the Holy Spirit is in us or when the Holy Spirit is in us? What happens? That was the gist of the first question. And the second one, I believe, relates to the first question. And it says, how do we know we're hearing from the Lord and not just ourselves? Uh, is there a litmus test or a formula that can be used to give us confidence that we are hearing from the Lord and not ourselves? So these are really great questions, and I believe one relates to the other. I think that the Holy Spirit is the key to all of it, you know. And so we're going to be primarily in John chapter 16 and John 10, if you want to open up to those scriptures. Now, of course, we're going to be all over the place, and the scriptures will be up there. So if you want to take notes, make sure you do that. But we're going to look at um, John, John 16 and John 10 will be um, our primary text there. Um, so... I think before we really get into anything, we have to understand the person of the Holy Spirit. That he is, in fact, a person, contrary to what many people believe. Many people say the Holy Spirit is simply the active force of God, or he is a force of God. He is a wind. He is not a person. And yet, the Bible, well, in fact, Jesus himself, speaking about the Holy Spirit, uses personal pronouns to describe the Holy Spirit. He calls the Holy Spirit a he, him. You know, he, he speaks of the Spirit as a person. Now, I would think Jesus would know if the Holy Spirit was an active force or if he was a person, wouldn't you? Here's a couple of verses. Jesus speaking in John 14, 15 through 17 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you, listen, another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot uh, received because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus speaking again in John chapter 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we're talking about a person here. Jesus, you know, is, I think, the author of all things, and he gets to describe who the Holy Spirit is to us. And he says that the Holy Spirit is a he. Um, you know, and so don't be offended if he's not a she either, right? He's a person is the point. And oftentimes, you know, I won't even go there. Wait a second. I'm trying to get controversial. I'm trying to create division in my own. What am I doing here? No. But... Uh, Paul wrote also regarding the Holy Spirit that in several places that the Holy Spirit has three distinct things that a person has. The Holy Spirit has a mind, the Holy Spirit has a will, and the Holy Spirit has emotion. And I'll show you from Scripture. Firstly, the Holy Spirit has a mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Paul writing says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For he knows a person's thoughts except 
uh, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, it says in that particular verse, he searches and comprehends the deep things of God. That demonstrates that he has a mind. The Holy Spirit can, he, he can seek out truth in the Father and he can also comprehend it. Also Romans chapter 8 verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. Again, if the Holy Spirit was not a person and he didn't have a mind, he wouldn't understand what we were thinking, what we were trying to express to God. He wouldn't be able to read our spirit. So he has a mind. He is intellectual. He, he, he can understand you and he can understand God. And thankfully, he's the, one that, he's the one that explains to us all the things that Jesus taught. So I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit has a mind. Amen? Not only that, but he also has a, a will. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And um, again in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to what? His will. Now, who determines whether or not what gift you get as it relates to spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit. It says he determines by his own will. Now, understand that the will of the Holy Spirit and the will of the Father are the exact same. But the point is that the Holy Spirit has a will. He determines what you need in the moment. You know, Jesus gave him to you for a very distinct purpose, to be your helper, to help you. And he does that as he reads you and understands you and knows what you need in the moment he gives you. That's why the Bible tells us that, you know, the faith that we have, like God will give us the faith we need in the moment. Where does that come from? I believe it comes from the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit reminds us. He is with us always. And so, you know, he has a will. He determines what we need, and he gives according to his will. So you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'll tell you why. Not because Santa Claus is coming to count, of course. The Holy Spirit doesn't determine what we get based on whether we're naughty or nice, does he? Because I know some pretty naughty people, but the Spirit of God works in their life, you know. And I'm thankful for that because the Holy Spirit works in my life. And so it's not determined on us. It's sole discretion of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, he has emotion. Look at his Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10 says, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. And then again, in Ephesians 430, probably know the verse and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Because he has emotion just like you and I do. Now, when are you grieved most of the time? You know, there's a difference between grieving over sorrow, you're sad about something, you know, or whatnot. But then there's a grieving as a result of when you look out at someone, someone stuck in sin or somebody that is, you know, walking away from the Lord or they're, they're rejecting the gospel. That grieves the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the greatest ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit is to live in sin, 
to not be repentant in our heart, to not deal with, to not be cleansed, to allow the blood of Christ to, uh, you know, restore that fellowship with God. The Holy Spirit would be grieved if we were trying to live two lives, if we were being hypocritical. He wants you and I to be clean, and it grieves him when we live in sin. And so he has emotion just like every human being has emotion. He can be grieved. He is a person that has a mind, that has a will, that has emotion. Not only that, but he is fully divine. He is God. You know, when Jesus told us in Matthew 28, you know, he told us, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and who? The Holy Spirit. He's God. Now, just because he's named last doesn't mean he's less. And that's, a, that's another thing. The Holy Spirit is equally God, just as equally God as Jesus, just as equally God as the Father. But they all have f- specific functions. And what we will see in the Scriptures is that the f- specific function of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus, to elevate Jesus Christ, to make Jesus known, to make sure we understand his word, everything that he taught. He points us right to Jesus, but who does Jesus point us to? He points us to the Father. He says the Father has given it all to us, you know, and the Father, who does he point back to? He points back to, the, to, to Jesus himself. All three working hand in hand, equally God, for, the, for one sole purpose, that we might know him. And love him. That is the sole purpose that he would get glory out of our lives. So, what is the job of the Holy Spirit as in the life of the believer? Well, he has a lot of different functions. We're not going to go through them all. I haven't made an exhaustive list, but here's a few things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, we've already read it. He said that the Holy Spirit came to be a helper to us. The Spirit was given to help us to help us now i know guys i'm a guy and i know that i don't often ask for help i think i got it under control i think i i can handle it right i I, if i'm lost somewhere i'll figure it out right and so what would stop us from allowing the holy spirit to to really be the primary function that he has in our life to be the helper what would stop us from allowing him to do that pride 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 would stop him from being able to be the helper that he's called to be. Here's the thing. I know we all struggle with various different things, and we all try and work it out on our own, don't we? We try and find, you know, some way within ourselves to be able to work our way out of the hole that we have ourselves in, whether it be spiritually, physically, emotionally, you know, mentally, whatever it might be. But my Bible says that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to be my helper, period in every situation. It doesn't matter if, it's, if, if I'm struggling with depression. It doesn't matter if I'm struggling with sin. It doesn't matter if I'm struggling with whatever the case might be, whatever I'm struggling with, the Holy Spirit is your helper. He's been given to you for that. You know, and we have to, in order for him to uh, help us, we have to let him. And that requires humility. It's not weakness to allow, to, to recognize the, the, the reality that you need help. Listen, it's when the white flag is surrendered in whatever situation you're in, that's when God can begin to work, when the Holy Spirit is allowed to be able to do what he can do in your life, when you just say, I can't do it on my own. And I found in my own life that when I raise the white flag, 
after I've mustered up all the strength that I can and I've failed over and over again, that the Lord finally says, man, Tim, you, it's about time. Now let me work in your life, you know, and the Holy Spirit's able to do what he was put in me to do, to help me. Now, we have, uh, we have three different relationships with the Holy Spirit. You may know this already, but for the sake of those who don't, the, Jesus said here in John chapter 14, uh, in, in verse 17, the very end, uh, he, he says that even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells, listen, with you, but and will be in you. The relationship change that Jesus speaks about, first and foremost, that the Holy Spirit is with us. That is in the Greek para. Literally, the word means to cast alongside, to come alongside. The Holy Spirit is with everyone in the world. He is also with unbelievers. And we'll see in a moment that his purpose for being with an unbeliever is for one single purpose. You know, are, are actually three different reasons, but it's all for one reason, to, to, to lead us to Christ, that we would confess our sin, that we would come to know the Lord. So the Holy Spirit um, is with everyone. But when you become a believer, there's a transition that happens, a relationship change. And there's two other relationships that you and I have with the Holy Spirit that the world could never have with him. Jesus mentions one of them here, and he says that the Holy Spirit will be in you. That is in the Greek, E-N, N, and it literally means that he will come within. Now, I know that in Sunday school, you learned that Jesus comes into your heart. That there's some, li you, you, some little Jesus that comes and he makes a little house in your heart and he cleans out the closets and everything. That's not real. I hope I didn't blow it for you. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. It's Christ's spirit, the Bible says, they're all the same. To say Jesus is in my heart, I mean, theologically is okay, but more correctly, the Holy Spirit is within me. That is what the Bible teaches. Jesus said that your relationship will change with the Holy Spirit when you, when you bow your knee to me. When you come to know me, the Holy Spirit will then come in you. He will reside in you. There is another relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit as believers. And it is known as the epi experience or the upon experience, which Jesus references in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, epi, upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The purpose for, what's the purpose of for this experience, for the epi experience? He just told us. It's so that we could be his witness in Columbia, in Middle Tennessee, and the South, and to the end of the earth. That is the purpose of the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. It's not that that particular relationship with the Holy Spirit isn't related to sanctification. It's related to being a witness for Christ. It's an empowerment for the purpose of Jesus somehow being known to somebody somewhere. That is the point of the Holy Spirit be coming upon a person, that we would be empowered in the moment to somehow elevate Christ, that he would be seen in those moments. We have the, the, the within experience of the Holy Spirit is your sanctifying power to become more like Jesus. That he is, that, that relationship 
when he came inside of you, you were immediately released from the bondage of sin. You have the power to live like Christ within you. But the upon experience is an, is, is an additional power that the Holy Spirit gives for the purpose of you and I being a witness. And let's be honest. We are all powerless without the Holy Spirit, aren't we? We know you try and witness to people outside of the Spirit, and, you know, you ever tried to force that? That really works, huh? You know, the Spirit of God's saying, no, stop talking, and you're like, no, but they need to know they're going to go to hell, you know, and you just continue to press forward, and <laughs> you just push that person further and further away from the Lord. And the Holy Spirit then convicts your heart, and you're thinking, man, Lord, what was I thinking? Yeah, you're powerless. Listen, the funny thing about us being witnesses is we're not convincing anybody of anything. Do you know that? Like, you are simply a tangible, uh, you know, object that is in between the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, and that person. And God's just kind of using you to show this person that he's real in some way and that somebody tangible that they can see is speaking to them so that they can hear the gospel and that's so that they can believe. But you're not doing anything other than being obedient to the Spirit of God. Listen, that arrangement, that, that, that um, appointment that you, were, that you made or whatever it is with that person was made before the foundation of the earth. The Holy Spirit had already been drawing that person to the Father. He had orchestrated all of these things. Listen, take the pressure off yourself. It's not about you. It is not about what you know. It's not about, you know, uh, your capacity to articulate specific truths. It's not about any of that. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw a person, they can't come. They can't come. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we can be relieved when we go into the world and witness to people because the burden is not ours. And, you know, he will give you the words you need in the moment. Here's what I would say to you. Whatever words those are, say them. They may not make any sense to you. You may have no idea why the Holy Spirit would have you to say this particular thing, but, but just simply would, could you just be a, a vessel, a conduit, and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you and say whatever he puts on your heart to say. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, I'll tell you. But listen, he knows what he's doing. He knows 100% what he's doing. So the Holy Spirit was, uh, he, he was given within us to give us power that we might be able to be witnesses for him. Jesus said in, um, that in, Ma in John chapter 16, verse 7, he said, nevertheless, you can flip over to John 16. We're going to be there a little bit here now. John 16, 7, Jesus said this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. Now, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, tells his disciples that it's to their advantage that he go away. Now, put yourself in their shoes. What would you be thinking? Uh, no, I don't think it's to my advantage. I think it's more to my advantage for you to be here tangibly, that I can see you, walk with you, talk with you, hug you, you know, that you can navigate me through various different things like when I can't cast out a demon and you come along and you say these only come out by prayer and fasting and those sorts of things I need you there for those reasons Jesus so I don't think that it's to my advantage that you go away many of us 
if we were them, and maybe we even, to, this, to the same degree today, knowing what we know, would opt out of the indwelling Holy Spirit to walk with Jesus, you know, in the physical form. But what did Jesus say? He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, of course, we know that there's a dual meaning in this idea of him going away. Part of it is that he means I'm going to die. I'm going away in that sense. I'm going to die. But, but what he was also saying is I am short-term. I have a specific calling. My calling is short. How long was he in ministry? Three years or so? His, his, his mission was very specific and it was very short. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be with us, what? Forever. Forever. And so he, 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 he wanted us to know that he has to go away in order for the Holy Spirit to come. But it is better for us. The Greek word there, you know, for advantage means to be better off. You're better off with the Holy Spirit inside of you than you are walking hand in hand with Jesus. I know that's hard to think about, but that is the truth. Because the Holy Spirit's in you. And Jesus, although he was, you know, God in human flesh and could do all kinds of things, he said it's a better, it, it's a greater advantageous for you that the Spirit of God be within you. And of course, I believe 100% that the disciples came to that same conclusion on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came rolling through that upper room and they began to, you know, speak in languages that they did not know the power of god had been so amazing and then throughout the book of acts all of the things that the holy spirit did through them it's really not the acts of the apostles but it's the acts of the holy spirit that's really what the book of acts is it's the acts of the holy spirit through through the the apostles so we can take jesus's word for it for sure and we can take the, uh, you know, the book of Acts as a reference point to how better off we are that the Holy Spirit resides within us. Jesus goes on to speak about the Holy Spirit's ministry in John 16 in verse 8 there. Here's what he says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I find this interesting that Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, you know, he will convict the world concerning sin. And notice the specific sin that he, he mentions here. It is the sin of unbelief. Now, we might mention all kinds of other sins, right? We might mention the sin of sexual immorality, the sin of anger, the sin of, you know, um, jealousy, the sin of, you know, uh, gossip, you know, all these different kinds of sins which we would say, oh, man, I, you're pretty bad. You're doing these kinds of things. And, and yet Jesus would mention one sin. Jesus would, Jesus would mention the sin of unbelief. And the reason he would mention that particular sin is because that particular sin is the only sin that will keep you out of heaven. It is the only one that will keep you out of heaven. Jesus said in Luke 12, 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. The Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin, and in particular, 
unbelief, that they would not believe in Jesus Christ. He would convict them of that because his heart is for reconciliation. Not only that, but he would also convict the world of what? Righteousness. What does that mean? Well, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, all tell us that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. We know that. So the Holy Spirit is, is helping us to see that righteousness is the only way. Again, what would that point us to eventually? If righteousness is the only way, it would point us to Jesus, just like Paul is talking about in the book of Galatians. He's saying you want to be righteous, you've got to know Jesus. The Holy Spirit would come to convict of righteousness. There is a standard that God has for us. You know, and, and I, I, in our world, it, it just blows my mind that we will change the standard over and over and over again. That we will make it, we will continue to lower the bar, but they still aren't hitting that bar. So they lower a little further, they still aren't hitting that one. So let's just continue to allow our immorality to grow and we'll lower the bar, yet we still can't meet it. Listen, there is only one way. No need to move the bar because there is only one way to hit it, and it is through Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of righteousness. Not only that, but also it says that he will judge, he will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What is he saying? He's saying that Satan himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, was defeated, and therefore he will be judged, and he will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity, and that will be that with him. He is already judged, folks. We're just waiting for the process to happen. The determination has been made. It is what it is. And so, you know, those who would have the idea that they're going to be high-fiving their buddies, you know, in hell with Satan are... Oh, my gosh, totally off base. Because Jesus says here that there will be judgment awaiting. So the Holy Spirit's chief function here as it relates to unbelievers is conviction. Conviction. Wait a second, isn't that my job? I thought I was supposed to convict the world of sin. I'm really good at it. Of course you are. <laughs> but that's not your job. Your job is to let the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know. But the Holy Spirit's chief function in the believer is, is what we're going to look at next. He goes on in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all of the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. He would be our guide. He would be the one to show us truth. And listen, we need that. We got to have that because I don't know about you, but I get in situations where uh, it's not black and white in the Bible. And I'm looking for scriptures throughout and I'm trying to find how, okay, I'm in the, I, I'm going to use, I'm trying to have a scriptural 
view of this situation. Lord, how do I deal with this? Thank goodness I have the Holy Spirit because he can teach me in those moments. He will teach you. He will guide you in the right way. That's why he came. In 1 John 2, 26 and 27 says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Listen, but the anointing that you have received from him, Jesus, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. You know, and so we, we want to rely on the Holy Spirit. He's our guide. But, you know, and here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. It, Jesus said he will never distract you from Jesus. He will only lead you to Jesus. He will elevate Jesus. He will make Jesus bigger in your eyes. And, you know, as big as he is now, he will continue to make him bigger. He will elevate the Lord, and he will teach you everything that Jesus said. Now, the Bible also says for the believer that the Holy Spirit, amongst all the other things that he is, that he's our guarantee. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That word guarantee there literally means the Holy Spirit is your down payment. He, has, he is your deposit. He is your pledge. Jesus is coming back, and Jesus is coming back for that which he has pledged, that he has put the deposit down on. He is coming back for you. You can be sure of that. How do we know? Because he sealed us. He sealed us. That word there is the idea of an, an insignia, some sort of symbol. Uh, you know, back in ancient days, they would use a ring or some kind of stamp, and they would have a particular symbol on it, and they would put the wax on, on the paper, or they would put that symbol somehow branded on something to declare that whatever that possession was, whatever, whoever that person is, that they are coming in the authority and the power of the one that bears that stamp. You have the stamp of God upon you. And you have the authority and the power because you have the stamp upon you. But you also have the guarantee that you belong to him. He's not going to take that away from you. You have it. Once he stamps you, you're stamped. We'll get into that next time. We're going to get into that a little bit as far as can you lose your salvation. So the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The Bible goes on in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to read it, but you can read it later. He also is the one that gives us our spiritual gifts. Listen, we are desperate, in, desperately in need of the Holy Spirit as a body here at Calvary, but in general, the, the entire body of Christ. You know, I love A.W. Tozer. He's one of my favorite theologians, authors, and whatnot. And he said, you know, it, it's, it saddened him to see the state of the church when he lived. And he said, that, you know, 95% of what was happening in the early church would have come to a screeching halt if the Holy Spirit had been, if they hadn't been operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. But he said 95% of what goes on today in the church just continues to go on outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. What an indictment upon us. 
you know, that we, we are desperate for the Holy Spirit, man. So what are the marks of the Holy Spirit in us? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is in us? That was the question. We took a while to get here. But here's the thing is it's important you have the foundation. What does it look like to have the Holy Spirit live inside of you? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is? Does something mysterious happen when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us? Do we, uh, you know, begin to, you know, float or, you know, what happens to us when we uh, receive the Holy Spirit? I'm thankful that we find the account of the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And we see exactly what happens. Check this out. It's in John chapter 20, verses 22 through 23. This is not the, 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 the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. This is the in experience. This is the within experience. And I'll explain in a second. But here's what it says here that Jesus said, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, I'm not going to focus on verse 23, but the point is that Jesus, in this moment, he breathed on them and he said, receive. Now, the only, the only reason he said receive the Holy Spirit is because they had never received him yet. He was with them. He was para. The disciples, they had, they had two experiences with the Holy Spirit just like those in the Old Testament could have. They had the with the para experience, the with experience of the Holy Spirit that everyone has, right? But they also, even in the Old Testament, had the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon. You know, he came upon Elijah. He came upon Samson. He came upon the various different people. Their power was temporary moments, and it was specific. They were empowered in specific moments for the glory of God, right? This is, everything's changing in this moment. Jesus said, now receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Did you, did you catch what happened there? Did you see it? Look again, look at these verses. Do you see the, 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 the magnitude of what's happening in this moment? as they received the Holy Spirit, nothing, nothing happened. There was no big bang. There was no tongues of fire coming over their heads. There was no, but let me tell you something. Something very significant just happened. But it wasn't evident on the outside. And in fact, you know, John, I believe if there would have been something to report in this moment, would have made a declaration in his gospel to say, when though you receive the Holy Spirit, this is what happens. And it is incredible. Listen, there are incredible things that happen in that moment when you receive the Holy Spirit. A dead person comes to life. You know, a dead person, when you receive Christ, you, you raise to life. It says he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. The idea of being born again, you are getting that new breath of life. That breath of life is the Holy Spirit. It's the pneuma. It's the exact same breath that God breathed into Adam in Genesis chapter 2 through his nostrils. He breathed the breath of life into him. When you are born again, you it's as if God just breathes his breath in you and the Holy Spirit 
comes inside of you, but there's nothing to report in terms of some incredible emotional moment or whatever. Now, I will say this, though. Scripturally, there is something that can happen at the very same time of receiving the Holy Spirit. You can also be baptized in the Spirit. And that's what happened to Cornelius. Uh, remember when Peter in Acts chapter 10 had that dream. And, and Pete, God told him, you go, with, you go talk to this Gentile uh, and he's going to come to Christ. And you go tell him about Jesus. And so he does. And um, it says in Acts chapter 10 verses 44 through 47, while Peter was still saying these things, he's, he's preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised um, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God or praising God. Same idea. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Which, by the way, that goes to show you right there that baptism is not part of the deal there because Peter baptized them after they'd received the Holy Spirit. They were already saved. And that the only reason he baptized them is because they were saved. He wouldn't have baptized them otherwise. But, but the point is this. Your relationship with God and, and, and that moment when you're born again is unique to you. Every person has their own story and it's all different, you know, but you can have at the same time as you receive the Holy Spirit, you can be baptized with the, the Holy Spirit can come upon you in power in that moment as well. It can happen that way as well. But for most of us, you know, we don't feel anything. We don't sense anything. We don't necessarily know anything's happened. But, but, but there is one thing that you might be able to uh, relate to, and that is the idea that you've changed. Remember when you came to that moment in Christ and you received him into your life? Do you remember the things that maybe you didn't even realize in the moment had just passed away? And then all of a sudden, you know, sometime later, you're thinking back, you're thinking, hey, I haven't done that in a while. That's weird. I used to do that every day. Now I don't, I never even thought about it from the point in which I was saved. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Because you're born again. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 that you are a new person. From now on, verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one re according to the flesh, even though we once re regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You were born again. You were changed. You're not the same person. How do I know that the Holy Spirit is inside of me? Because you've changed. Now, I also believe that this has to do with desire. You know, we talked about desire last week and how desire is what leads us into sin according to the, the Word of God, you know. In, in James chapter 1, and talking about these desires that lead us into sin. The temptation is the temptation of what? The desire that's within you. So that's, and then when you give in to that desire, sin is birthed, right? Well, also, God changes your desires when you come to Christ. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, he begins to rearrange things. 
maybe priorities, maybe language. I know when I, when I became a believer, I, I, I used to cuss a lot. And, you know, uh, I came to that place, and I literally, from the moment I came to Christ, I didn't cuss again. It was no conscious effort that I made at all. No conscious effort at all. It was just gone. Now, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Also, something else happened. Other people might notice the change in you. Hey, you used to be fun, man. What happened? Oh, I got saved. Oh, man, Jesus always ruins the good ones, you know. And <laughs> no, the reality is, is that our desires have changed. We no longer have desires for certain things. Why? Because we've been born again. You know, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You're new. You're walking a whole different path than you were. So you can, you can know that the Holy Spirit is inside of you based on your desires. Have they changed? Are you a new person? One of the things that I love to talk to people about when they're struggling with their salvation is I say, well, tell me about the moment when you came to Christ. What were you like? Like, how were you? Did anything change? You know, and, and, and of course, we want to be careful that we're, uh, we're not the determining factor of whether somebody's saved, by the way. Be very careful with that. But I like to point them to that moment, and I like to ask them the question, did you change? Well, yeah, I think I did. Well, according to the scriptures, that's an evidence of your salvation is the fact that you have a change, that you're a changed person, that you're new. I'm not, I have no idea who you were before. I have no idea who you are now. But here is the point in which you can be sure because ultimately it doesn't matter what I think. If you want to have confidence in your salvation, you look at your life pre-Christ and you say, what was I like? Did I change? And I'm not talking about adding religion. I'm talking about genuine heart change where it's not an outward, you know, I'm talking about an inward change where your desires are different, where you have a hunger and a passion for the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit does inside of someone. He puts a hunger in there, in, in your heart for the Lord. It doesn't mean it will be that way always, but there is a, there is a time point in which you can look back and say, yeah, the Lord did an amazing thing. I know that I, that I had an encounter with him that day. I know that I gave my life to him because my life changed. It's through a changed life. Also, the Bible also says the way that we can know that the Holy Spirit is within us is that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. It says that in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit communicates with your spirit and gives you some confidence that you are genuinely a child of God. You know, now, here's what happens, though, is we start living life, and we struggle, and we fall down, and we try and pick ourselves back up, and we get into this, you know, this, this thing that I call sanctification, it's this process in which God's trying to make us more like Jesus. And, you know, we're trying to figure out why we're struggling and all. And then we start to ask the question, am I saved? Am I saved? Well, and you forget about the moments when you came to Christ, the changed life, and now your sole focus is your performance. 
and you're saying, man, my performance is not there. I mean, I, I need to get my performance up a little bit more because that's going to declare to me that I'm saved. Well, no, it won't. I mean, that's merit-based. Salvation is not merit-based. This says the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit. Now, will your desires change? Will your life change? Will the things that you do change? Yes. But listen, the struggle is still there because we're still entrapped in the flesh. You know, so, so what I would say is to that person is, again, go back to the point in which you came to Christ. What was your life like? If you're not where you need to be today, repent and come back. But that doesn't mean that you, you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but it could. I don't know. That's something you have to determine. But there are things in our life that we can, we can see. Paul wrote in Romans uh, 8, 9 through 11 that, you know, without the Holy Spirit inside of us, we're not saved. He said, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You'll know the Holy Spirit. There will be a point in time, but that doesn't mean you won't wrestle with that. But you have to ask yourself the question, did he really ever come inside? I think the church, to be honest, is filled in this modern day with people who have never had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of them they don't understand that, but they think they're going to heaven. And, 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 you know, I think Paul dealt with that even in, in his day. People thinking they're saved when they're not. It's a scary thing, but it's not something that we, uh, we, we have to wonder about. It's very clear in the scripture. Can we know, can we have security in our salvation? Absolutely, 100%. You know, once you understand how you obtained it, and, you know, and you continue in that same pattern by grace through faith in Christ alone. And you understand that is where your salvation reigns, and, you know, and your life and your desires are to elevate Christ. And although you fail, you're, you're, you're trying, you're, you, you desire to do that. Those are evidences the Holy Spirit is within you, but you won't do it perfectly. I promise you. What is some other evidences of the Holy Spirit inside of us? Of course we know that there's fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things listed out for us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Have these things been exhibited in your life? Have, have you, do you have a, a, a love, you know, I'm, I, listen, you, you may not love like Jesus loves, but is there a different kind of love in you than there was before you came to Christ? Do you love people a little bit differently than you did? Well, I didn't love people at all, but now I kind of like them. Okay, there's a change, right? So the Holy Spirit, as we allow him, and, and, and I love this. I love that R.A. Torrey, he said this about the Holy Spirit, and this is something that we need to get is that the Holy Spirit, if we want more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's not that we have to get more of him. He has to get more of us. He has to get more of us. We have to surrender more to him so that he can have his reign in our life. 
It's the fruit of the Spirit. So then very quickly, how do we know, how do we know how to hear God's voice? We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We've seen the evidences of the Holy Spirit inside of us, but we're struggling to hear God's voice. Well, Jesus said in John 10, in verses 1 through 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, the man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on before them, and the sheep follow him, listen, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from uh, him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus said plainly right here that sh his sheep will hear his voice. How do we hear the voice? How do we know it's Jesus' voice? By the Spirit of God. It's by the Spirit of God. How do we interpret Jesus? What did, what did the Spirit say? That, what, is the, what, have, what were the things that the Spirit would do? He would lead us into all truth. He would guide us, right? He would explain to us what Jesus is saying. How do we know what, what, what Jesus is saying to us? Through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the ways that we know. I'll talk about this more in a minute, but, but you know, first and foremost, if you want to hear his voice, you have to be in tune to his spirit. You have to, you know, and, and understand you can grieve the spirit. You know, you can cloud the spirit with sin in your life, disobedience, lack of faith. These things will stop the Holy Spirit from you really being able to hear the Holy Spirit, will grieve the Holy Spirit, and you may not be able to truly hear very clearly the voice of the Lord. And it's not because God isn't speaking. It's because there's things in your life that are, clouding the voice remember when Moses said hey Lord show me reveal yourself to me and remember it, you know it wasn't in the wind it wasn't in the in, in, in the great you know you know whatever thunder and all of that stuff but it was in the still small voice it wasn't in the magnitude of all these other things but God's voice was so small and so still but Moses probably thought that it was all those other things because they were so loud and boisterous let me tell you something. God will not yell over the volume of whatever else is in your life. He will not yell over it. So, if you, so the first thing and foremost is, are you right with the Lord in this moment when you're trying to hear the voice of God? Are you right? You have a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's the first and foremost. Um, how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Three sources. Three sources. He speaks... Through God's word, first and foremost. That is the primary source, guys. That is where you should look first and foremost always. Go to the word of God. Go to the scriptures. You know, be very, very careful about the, you know, and, and one of them is that he will speak to you directly in an impression of your heart. But here's the thing is it always verified by scripture. Be very, very careful about listening to other people that just tell you things. Go to the Bible what does the Bible say about what you're trying to understand? Now, now, I, I do know that there are situations that are not clear, that there are things in the Bible that you're going to, there are things in your life that, you know, it's not explicitly stated, you know, 
you know, when you come to this fork in the road, make sure you hang a left, you know, kind of thing, and uh, make sure you go this way or whatever. You know, there, but, but here's what you have to understand. God requires you to walk by faith. So that means that you're not going to know every single detail about what you're doing, but Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and he does not send you out, you know, amongst the wolves to be devoured. He speaks to you. He guides you. He will show you the way. But he's not going to give you every single detail. And so you look in the scriptures and you, and you evaluate what the scriptures have to say about the particular thing that you're dealing with. And then you ask yourself, Lord, even though the scripture says this, is this your will? He will confirm it. The Holy Spirit will confirm in your heart. Now, God also will use you know, um, I, I want to give an example real quick. He'll, he'll, he'll speak to our hearts. He'll, he'll speak directly to us. I had a lady one time um, tell me, I, w- I was talking to her, she's a friend of mine, and a long time ago, and, and uh, she wanted to divorce her husband. And, uh, and I, I said, well, and she wasn't really a believer, but she was asking me for help. Right. And I and, and so I had an opportunity to witness to her and she said, well, and I said, well, let me ask you a question. What do you think God thinks about divorce? Well, well, I think God, well, well, God told I, I feel like God's saying to me that he wants me to be happy. And I said, oh, OK, you think, you, you know, you want to know what the Bible says? The Bible says God hates divorce. But I guess in this case, since he's so concerned about your happiness, that he'll be okay with that, right? Well, what do you mean? God isn't telling you to get a divorce. Listen, you're being led astray by your own desires. And it was a very specific thing that was going on in her life, and God worked it all out, and they are married to this day. And, you know, they still aren't believers, even though they saw God do that work, and, and there's, no que- there's no question it was God. But it, it bums me out. But you go to the Word, even with unbelievers, folks. You take them to the Word because you're accountable to the information that you give. You don't tell pe- you don't lead people by example. Well, um, you know, and so you want to make sure. That sometimes the Holy Spirit will put an impression on your heart. And you know what I'm talking by that. Now, it's not necessarily a feeling. It's more of a a knowledge like there is some sort of and when you when you finally uh, understand that voice and when you get that connection and you understand it you'll know exactly what it is I know what it is for me I know what it's like the very first time I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me was probably like four or five years after I was saved and I was on an airplane going to India and I heard in my heart I knew in my heart that there was a desire within me to go visit an orphanage in India. And I wasn't going there for that. I was going there for business. But the Lord said I needed to go visit an orphanage. And so I had never had that happen to me before. I never had an impression like that on my heart. People say it's an impression or, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, a thought or something like that. But I knew that I needed to do it. And I went over and I told the guy that I was meeting with for business, I need to go to an orphanage. And he said, okay, I'll take you to a school of the blind people. I said, no, that's not what God said. 
He said an orphanage. Do you know of any orphanages? No, I, I don't know of any orphanages. I go, okay, well, I'll just wait on the Lord because it's his thing. He wants me to do it, so he'll show me. And uh, I went back to my hotel. He picked me up the next day. We were driving out to a factory. So we were driving through this town. This town was big. But, uh, and we were going outside, uh, you know, into the countryside to, w to a factory. And I, we were driving in this really horrible area. And I look over to the side, and I see this building in this slum, and it said Calvary Chapel on it. And I said, whoa, Calvary Chapel, stop. So he stopped the car, and I, I got out, and I went over to the building, and uh, it was all locked up and everything. I said, oh, well, cool. When I get back to my hotel, I'll look in the phone book, and I'll see if they have phone books in India. Wow. I, I, I don't even know why. That must, the Lord must have put that in my heart, but I didn't even know why I would look for a phone book. But anyway, he, I looked in the phone book, and uh, I found Calvary Chapel. I called him up, and I said, hey, could I come meet with you guys? I'd love to. I didn't know there was Calvary Chapels over here. And so I go over, and Pastor Guna is the guy's name. I'm with a Hindu, you know, and I take him to this, to, to with me. And uh, they're real sketchy with him being there because they're Christians, and he's Hindu, and that's a, you know, they're, although they're, they can, they freely worship, uh, there's a lot of persecution there. So they were kind of being, I thought it was weird. I'm just like, man, what is your deal? Why are you being so guarded, man? So I said, I said, hey, uh. Uh, you wouldn't happen to know where any orphanages are around here, would you? And he goes, actually, we have orphanages. That's what we do. We're, we, we have orphanages, you know. And I was, and in that moment, I was like, the Lord opened up. And then I, I ended up coming back and helping raise support for the orphanages and stuff like that. But it was totally the Lord. And so that was the first time. Sometimes God, you know, he'll tell you to do weird things. Like I remember one time, um, he's done this to me multiple times as he's training me to hear his voice. Tim, pick up that trash right there. I've been driving down the road and seen garbage on the side of the road, and the Lord will say, go pick that up. Turn around and go get it. Because I don't want to live with the, it's not, it's not, I don't want to live with the guilt of not doing what the Lord asked me to do. When you know it's the Lord, you do it. Now, here's the thing is, if you have that conviction in your heart, that impression, whatever you want to call it, do it. Just do it. He tells you to walk up to a complete stranger in the middle of the store and tell them Jesus loves them, do it. Do it, because I'll tell you, you will regret it if you don't. Um, but, but, but that's all to say this, that the Holy Spirit, yet he, he will help us, you know, the Word of God. We, he'll lead us to the Word of God. He'll show us directly in the Word of God. But sometimes he also puts impressions on our heart or speaks to us directly. But again, it will never violate Scripture. He's never going to violate something that the Word of God has to say. And then thirdly, God uses people. God uses you. He uses you in my life, me in your life, and you in each other's lives. He uses his body to speak into our lives. And how many times I've, you know, gone to a brother or sister and said, hey, man, let's, let's sit down and talk. And, you know, I, I, I start to talk. And, man, I gain so much out of that. In a, just a moment, man. It's just like, what is the Lord saying to you? Well, actually, I think you're looking at this all wrong. This is what the Lord's saying to me, and, I'm, and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because we, get, we can get clouded with our feelings, and sometimes we're too much in the forest to see the trees, right? And we need somebody from the outside to bring some perspective to help us so that we can hear clearly. So the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. He speaks directly to us, and he also uses um, you know, other people to speak into our lives. Be, be careful, though. 
of not just receive blindly receiving what somebody else says. Hey, the Lord told me to tell you that you're supposed to move to Africa and become a, a missionary, you know, and you're like, really? Listen, he'll tell you what he's telling them, right? So I, I always like to say, well, I guess when the Lord wants me to know that, he'll tell me, you know. Um, so be careful about those kind of things, and there are people that will do that to you. But, uh, you know, the Spirit of God inside of you will bear witness. Now, um, I'm not a big fan of what's called fleecing. And there are those that will, will do that, you know, the, the whole idea of Gideon putting the fleece out. I think that was a grave error of Gideon. I don't think that was a, a biblical, you know, example of how to understand, how to discern the will of God. You know, Gideon was trying to determine what God... Wa Remember, he had a confidence problem in the first place. He wouldn't even get out of the wine press. He was, you know, Lord, are you talking to me? You know, you're sure not talking to me. You know, he didn't even want to go. But God finally coaxed him out of there and said, come on, dude, you're a mighty man of valor. He calls him and he's hiding in there, you know. And the Lord calls him out. And then every step of the way, it's like God has to coach him some more. You know, come on, Gideon. Let's, and I'm not dogging the guy because, you know, I'm, I'm probably a lot like that in my own life. But... The problem is this, when you start to lay out fleeces, Lord, or, or, you know, here's one of the ways that you can do a fleece. Just fling your Bible open and just point to a verse and start reading and say, oh, oh, man, the Lord, he said, look what he said to me. Did the Lord say that to you? Or, I mean, did you just make that happen? Probably. You know, be careful that you don't just do that. Or, or that you lay out this fleece, you know, and you say, Lord, if you want me to have this happen, then you'll do this in my life. I'm only telling you from experience that does not work. I mean, it gets you so confused because you do end up in the same cycle Gideon was in. I remember when I was going to go to Bible college and uh, um, Modesto, California, and uh, I was struggling big time, man. My wife didn't want to go. I wanted to go. I was all in. I was ready to do it and uh, it ended up... Uh, um, I was praying one day, and, and I was like, Lord, you got to show me a clear sign, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, and, and, and I, I just, I, I'd look up, and then I see, I saw in the, uh, right in front of me this license plate, and it said Modesto. You know, I thought, well, that's got to be the Lord. Look at that, you know. But it wasn't, and I'm 100% convinced of that. You know, when we start to make really specific, when we start to make, uh, you know, make God perform for us to, to get it, to help us understand. That's a dangerous ground because understand the enemy also will, will, will throw ratchets in the, in, now he, you know, I don't know to the, what degree he can, he can, you know, interact in our lives to the, only to the degree God allows him, but, um, but, you know, can he read our thoughts and all of that? I don't think so, but, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, he can make your life very difficult. He's a deceiver. And there, so we have to be careful. But so, you know, definitely be careful with those kinds of things. But here's what, what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit will tell you, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And at the end of the day, what I've known about in every circumstance that I've been in is, you know, sometimes God's answer is just wait. Don't do anything. Just sit there. I, I, I determined in my own heart, until I have an answer from God and I know it's from God, I will not do it. I'm not going to do it. You know, and, and I'm not going to, like any big decision I'm going to make, I'm not going to just uh, do it on a whim. God's going to have to tell me specifically what it is.
I'll do whatever it is that he asked me to do, but I got to know it's him. Amen. So I hope that answered your questions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time together and for the opportunity to hear from your spirit about who he is and his work in our lives. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we thank you that uh, he is even in this room right now. And Lord, we pray that uh, for each one of us, Lord, if we're struggling with decisions or, well, first and foremost, we're struggling with even understanding whether you're in us or not. Lord, would you give us understanding tonight? Would you help us to know? And Lord, if we're unsure, the right thing to do is to simply bow our knee to you and just say, Lord, I need you tonight. I want to confess my sin to you and turn away from it. I want to turn to you and ask Jesus into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Turning away from my sin and turning to you, Lord. I'm asking you to just cleanse me, forgive me, Lord. I believe you died and rose again from the dead for me. And, and just a simple prayer like that, Lord. Just, just once again surrendering to you. And sometimes that, that may be the case for some, Lord. But whatever the case might be, Lord, we pray for each person here tonight. For, for just your Holy Spirit to speak clearly into our lives. If we're lacking discernment, Father, that you give us wisdom. God, that we would be able to hear your voice clearly, that your spirit would guide us and lead and direct us right into the throne room of grace, that we would be able to know exactly what it is that you want to do for us, Lord, or what you want us to do. And we ask you to fill us with faith to take the steps, whatever those might be. So we pray, Father, even now for a, a just an overwhelming sense of your presence, Lord, for a very clear direction in our lives. Lord, we pray for just the baptism of your spirit, Lord, that we would be able to be greater witnesses for your glory and honor, Lord. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.